How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. Sheesh. I can build my new house with all these bricks. Just give the ball to every possession. Hashtag shot. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. And today's episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Athletes Collective, high-performance sportswear with no logos. Go to Athletes Collective and use the promo code FANTASY for 15% off your first order. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, so go ahead and, uh, and give me a follow over there. We've got Thursday's games to talk about. There was five of those. There's 10 of them coming up for uh, for Friday. So we've got a lot of information to get to. What we're also going to do, we're going to look back on the last two weeks and go over the top 20 players over the last two weeks. We're going to look at some overvalued and undervalued, sell high, buy, buy low, however you want to phrase it, players. And then we'll get on to our, our standard DFS stuff. So let's get to it. To it. It's a good idea, isn't it? Thank you, Michael Bolton. The monstrous line of the night. He's going to get a lot of these. Uh, no doubt that James Harden is going to get a lot of these. 26 points for Harden. This is uh, his third triple-double of the season. Three triples in this as well. 12 boards, 14 assists, three steals, 7 of 17 from the field, and 9 of 11 from the free-throw line. I had a lot of people messaging me, um, and I didn't expect to, to get it, to be honest, asking me, oh, Patrick Beverly's back. Harden's assists are going to drop now, yeah? Is Harden still a good guy to use because Beverly is back? There was absolutely zero doubt in my mind that nothing was changing with Harden. Um, people get a little bit hang up on the designation that Harden was maybe playing point guard while Beverly was out. Now that Beverly's back, he was going to be the point guard. Harden's been the point guard on this team forever, for the entire time that he's been here. And maybe when Jeremy Lin was there, there was a slight difference in the role. But for the last three years, Harden's the point guard. And we saw that today. Beverly came back. I think he had three assists. Harden had 14. Absolutely nothing is changing. Beverly plays off the ball. He plays defense. He shoots threes. That is what he does. Nothing is going to change for for James Harden this season with Patrick Beverly returning. Harden is averaging a ridiculous 13 assists a game. He's at 29 points, 8.3 rebounds, 3 triples, 1.5 steals. And the thing that's actually a little bit down with him is his block numbers. He was at 0.6 last season and 0.7 last year. He's only at 0.1 this year, so he can actually bump that up. He's shooting a ridiculous 47% from the field, and he's at 83% from the line on almost 10 attempts. Very, very, very little to complain about if you're a James Harden owner, and not much is going to not much is going to change. You're going to get lots of triple doubles. You're going to get lots of assists. You're going to get scoring. You're going to get huge free throw percentage. You are going to get lots of James Harden this season, and uh, yeah, there's no real reason to think that that any of it is going to change. To be honest, because everything that he's doing sort of makes sense with what we anticipated coming into this season. I didn't anticipate he'd be getting 13 assists a game, but they did say it. Yeah, you know, he's going to average double digits. I mean, oh, okay. 
And then we're just seeing he's just racking up assists. He's touching the ball all the time. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing for fantasy. There's no uh, no doubt about that in my mind. Today's sponsor, as I mentioned earlier, is Athletes Collective. So I'll talk to you about them now. I think you've got to check them out. Oh, I know you've got to check them out. Athletes Collective is a sportswear company. But they offer premium athletic gear. But it's at an affordable price because they don't put logos on it. You know the logos I'm talking about with the stuff that you go and buy at your standard stores when, when you go shopping. I, I need to grab, I need to grab uh, some shorts to go to the gym. I need to grab a top to go and play basketball, whatever it is, you pay for advertising. You pay for the logo because these companies spend millions and millions of dollars putting up billboards on the side of buildings. Athletes Collective doesn't do that. They, they're they a grassroots company. They're based in Canada um, and they advertise on podcasts like this one. So they keep their costs down. They pass it on to you. You're looking at 40 to 50% saving on their, on their items and it's the same high quality technical fabrics, you know, sweat wicking, cooling, moisture sapping all that sort of stuff that these higher priced logo based brands offer athletes collective clothing is also pre-shrunk so when you wash it you don't have to worry about i'm going to buy it a size bigger because when i wash it it's going to shrink down it's already done it's going to maintain its shape it's going to maintain its features everything remains the same with all this athletes collective stuff i love the stuff that they sent me it's great it's comfortable it looks good and it does exactly what it needs to do it's free shipping inside the US and Canada, and it's 100% satisfaction guaranteed with all Athletes Collective gear. But of course, there's a promo code, and I do encourage you guys to go check this out. I'm sure all of you are interested in, uh, in getting cheaper workout gear. You're probably due to, to upgrade your stuff that you've got at the moment. Head across to athletescollective.com and use the promo code FANTASY when you check out, and that gives you 15% off your first order. They support the podcast, you support them, you get great gear at a really, really cheap price, and then you get 15% off that. I don't think anyone can argue that that's a good deal. So go across to athletescollective.com, use that promo code FANTASY, and get a 15% discount off your first order. The waiver wire line of the night, Brandon Jennings. 17 points for Jennings, 5 boards, 10 assists, 3 triples and a steal. He was uh, ridiculously hot from the field going 7 of 10. And we know that one of the biggest issues in Brandon Jennings' game is his inability to shoot. Nothing has changed this season. He's at 38% from the field. So the 70% he shot here is definitely not uh, not sustainable. But he is a player that people always look to. Or Brandon Jennings is coming back. And, and I like Brandon Jennings. I was very, very big on Brandon Jennings before the Achilles tear. I used to own him in plenty of leagues because people hated him because he shot 38% from the field. And I, went, I just would say, that's cool. I'm punting that category. Literally don't give a shit. I'll take his points. I'll take his assists. I'll take his steals. I'll take his threes. I'll take his high free throw percentage. I'll take all of that. And I owned him in plenty and plenty of leagues. But he did his Achilles. And that's it for the, for guys. Seriously, it's it. He had some flashes and he had some flashes last season. But this year, he's playing 21 minutes a night and he only played 24 today and he's averaging 7, 3, and 5. The 5 assist is really good. But obviously the scoring is well down. He's barely shooting the ball. He's... His field goal attempts per 36, when he was in his prime in Detroit, he was at 15, 16 uh, shots per, per 36. This year, he's at 10. So it's not just the minutes reduction that's causing him to shoot less. He's, the game is different. Now, those assists are useful. You want to stream a guy in and you need to get assists. Well, Jennings is going to get you those four to five assists on most nights, and that's that's really useful. He's not going to do anything else in the other areas, though. It probably restricts him just to being a streaming option or to being a 14-team league guy, but we saw a lot of Rose Jennings combined backcourts tonight. That'll happen at times. 
it won't be a, a standard feature. Although if Joachim Noah continues to suck, then Jeff Hornacek is going to have to do something. And whether that means playing Jennings a little bit more, I, I don't know. But I don't think that Jennings is going to really become a a must-own player. But there'll be there'll be situations in uh, in twelve-team leagues where he's ownable just because of that ability to get assists. And he did a great job today. He looked really good out there. But with what we saw from him last season in Detroit and in Orlando, he would do this. And then he would score about four points combined in the next three games and have about six assists in those three games and just look dreadful. And he hasn't looked dreadful this season, but he also hasn't looked good. So it's it's a good game. It's it's a huge game, actually. 17-5-10 is a massive game for a backup point guard but I wouldn't get overly excited about it or think that it's going to be changing my thought process on anything that's happening with uh, with the Knicks or with Brandon Jennings at this point. But if you want to hear more on the Knicks, go and listen to Locked On Knicks with Jared Dubin. Jared has heaps of good guests. I think he had Seth uh, Rosenthal, I think I got that name right, from uh, Posting and Toasting on the other day, and uh, they had a big discussion about uh, our boy Christos Porzingis. They'll be talking Jennings. They'll be talking the decline of Joe Kim Noah and what they're going to do with these smaller lineups as well. So make sure you are checking out Locked On Knicks and any other podcasts across the Locked On Podcast Network. The Young Gun of the Night. Someone said to me that I should ban Christos Porzingis from getting this award, and I understand that. But there's going to be nights when this bloke gets it as well, and that's Carl Anthony Towns. These two guys... Uh, along with Miles Turner and D'Angelo Russell, are probably going to dominate this award for most of the season. Towns was, was fantastic in a matchup against the Philadelphia 76ers. 25 points, 10 boards. He hit a three. He had two blocks, and he was 12 of 18 from the field. Didn't get to the line at all, which is uh, a little weird, but but yeah, it's, not, it's not terrible. That's not, where he's, uh, that's not where his bread is buttered, I guess, from a fantasy point of view. But still, some pretty... Uh, some pretty nice numbers from Towns. He's definitely not living up to the to the early season prognostications of people. So I'm taking him at number three. I'm taking him at number four. I think we had him at about seven ish or so. Um, but I was pretty vociferous in my in my comments that we just need to be careful because we're assuming a big step forward that it might and it might not come. And it hasn't quite come yet. It's not far off, but it hasn't. It hasn't quite come. His rebounding is down. His block numbers are down. Um, his shooting percentages are both down from the line and from the field. So he hasn't taken this big, massive step forward that everyone thought he would. He's been awesome, and he is awesome, and there's nothing nothing wrong with any of that. But he hasn't taken that gigantic step forward that people assume that he would. And I, I, I assume that he would take a step forward as well. But I definitely wasn't on board with grabbing him at 3 or four, or five, to be honest. He was in that group between six and ten, in that sort of a range to me. Um, and he's not quite living up to that just yet. But he will get better. He's looked a little bit better over the last over the last bit of time. But his percentages is what's really down, and that's impacting what he's doing. But he still looks awesome. There's there's no there's no denying how good Carl Anthony Towns is. But um, just not quite living up to, I guess, where he had been, where he'd been thought to have to have been at this point in his career. The dud of the night, the player that was picked at number three behind Carl Anthony Towns is Jaleel Okafor, and he is your dud of the night for, I believe, the second time this season. He is struggling. Seven points, two rebounds on two of five shooting. No steals, no blocks, no assists, no threes. You would know that I'm not a big uh, I'm, I'm not a big Jaleel Okafor fan. I don't believe that he's a must-own player in 12-team leagues. He's playing just under 20 minutes a game this season, and that will theoretically ramp up as his knee starts to get back in action. 
But also, Newlands Noel is back next week. Now, Noel might not be on the team. That's a huge possibility. But if he is, then Okafor's minutes are going down. He's not maintaining 24 a night when Newlands Noel comes in. I just I can't see how that happens. Okafor is averaging just 11 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, 0.9 blocks on 49% shooting, and 59 from the line. His per 36 is might give us a bit of an indication where he sits, and he's not too far off last season. His points are a little bit down. His rebounding is a little bit down. He's at 20 points per 36. The rebounding at 6.9 is a very, very low total for a center. And the block sitting at 1.7 is nice. But he was touted as a guy that was going to come in and be a huge field goal percentage guy. That hasn't happened. He was also touted as being a guy. I don't buy into his his poor free throws in college. He'll be better than that. Or he hasn't. He's probably been worse than that, if anything. Um, I, I just don't I don't buy this guy. He's a horrible defender. Um, he, he just He's not a starting caliber center in the NBA at this point. And, and I really do doubt whether he becomes that at all in his career. I just have significant doubts about him as a player. And it's really weird because at the point before he was drafted, I was like, the Lakers, like, why aren't you taking him at that spot? Like, like you got to take him. And now it's like, shit, you know, where, where does he fall? In the top 10, outside the top 10 in that draft? Probably outside the top 10. I should redraft that draft at some point. Maybe, well, I was going to say when I get a free day, but yeah, all-star break. Maybe I'll redraft the 2015 draft. But Jelly Locafor is not a 12-team league player, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion, of course. Let's take a look at all the games now um, and go through them in a bit more detail. There were the five of them. The first one was the New York Knicks and the Washington Wizards. The Knicks were getting smashed early, then came back with a pretty strong comeback at the end. We talked Jennings already. Derek Rose had a big scoring night, 27 points for Rose, and actually hit three threes and got a steal, which is a real bonus as a Derek Rose owner. Still just the two boards and the four assists, but a pretty good night. He was always sort of in line for a, a decent game in this one, I thought, but he still is not an awesome fantasy player. Porzingis, not quite to the same level as he was on Wednesday, but 16-7 and seven with four steals and two triples is still pretty impressive, and Mallow had 19-3-3. Three and three. And some horrendous defensive efforts and some horrendous shooting. But he did uh, help the team get back into the game at the end. They just left it very, very late. Now, Joakim Noah, only 19 minutes, 2 points and 7 boards for Noah. This is 2 games in a row where he gets benched. They go with that smaller lineup to run Porzingis at the 5 and get the extra wings out there. Jennings and Justin Holiday, who played 23 minutes in this one. Um, I don't think you can own Noah in a 12-team league. I don't think there's any real need for that. In a 14-team league, he's probably borderline as well. I just, I just every time I talk about, it, I just think they paid him four years, seventy-two million dollars. Man, they they hope there's an amnesty because that is a horrific contract. It is, it's disgusting. It was never going to be good. It was terrible the the minute it was leaked before contracts could even be signed. It was, what are you doing, Phil? I think you're going to hear a lot of what are you doing on this podcast, to be honest, because there's a few situations we need to speak about. But Noah. Yeah, Noah is not uh, not ownable. Courtney Lee also he got he got uh, really benched so the Brandon because Brandon Jennings was playing well. Twenty three minutes for Lee, four and three. He is not a twelve team league guy, and I'm sure none of you guys would own him in that sort of a format. Justin Holiday had the eight points in his twenty three minutes, um, just filling in that role for Lance Thomas, who who is going to be out for a little bit of time. Thomas with that uh, with that plantar fasciitis and foot bone bruise, we're expecting probably three to four weeks for him, but. It's making Holiday more a 14-team league guy rather than a 12-team staple. For the Wizards, 
Brad Beal was back. He played 29 minutes, 18, 3, and 5. So a good return to form or a good return to action for him. And Johnny Wall played the 31 in this one. 23 points, 11 dimes, 3 triples, and a steal. A, a really good night from Wall. And Otto Porter keeps up his sensational season, really. 21 and 8, 4 triples, 2 steals, and a block going 8 of 14 from the field. Now, I don't believe that he can continue to shoot at this level, as I've said plenty of times, but they're using him a lot more. Uh, his three-pointers, he hit four of his five shots here, which is not something that he can continue, but the rebounding is good. The defensive numbers are really good from Otto Porter. He, he should be a top 100 guy this season. I just don't believe he's going to be able to sustain this level of shooting. With uh, with Beal back, Marcus Thornton was relegated back to a bench role, 18 minutes for him. He had 13 points with three triples, but really there is no way that he should be in the NBA. Well, Tomas Sataransky, who was slated to start if Beal didn't play, so they went with uh, Sheldon McClellan in one game, they went with Thornton in another, and they were going to go with Sataransky in the third, so just completely mixing it up. Sataransky had four, one, and four with two steals, but what it means is that Brooks is now considering Sataransky the backup point guard, the backup shooting guard, and the backup small forward as well. So he's going to be in this high teens, minutes range most of the season. And when Wall's out, Beal's out, or maybe if even Porter's out, he's going to be pushed into starters minutes. That doesn't mean that you want to own him in 12-team leagues. I think his dynasty value is pretty high because I, I do believe that at some point, Wall might get out of here. He might say, oh, I can't deal with this shit. Beal just might not ever be healthy. Maybe they don't retain Otto Porter in restricted free agency. Sadoransky's got a nice fantasy game. Points, boards, threes, rebounds. I've already said that. Points, rebounds, assists, threes, steals. He can do all of that stuff. So in Dynasty, it wouldn't be crazy to imagine him being a top 150 guy next season. So definitely keep an eye there. 16 and 18 for Marcin Gortat in 31 minutes. And Mark Heath had a, had a stinker. 8 and 8 in his 35 minutes. Milwaukee and Miami. Now Milwaukee. I know a few people have said, I, I want to hear Josh's take on Jason Kidd. Here it is. Jason Kidd, he is definitely in consideration for the worst coach in the league. He's top three, and he's joined by Earl Watson, and he's joined by Alvin Gentry, and Michael Malone just pops his head in occasionally and just says, guys, don't forget about me. Maybe you want to include me. Mick, mate, maybe not just yet, but Jason's right up there. Now, the Bucks, A horrendous effort. They scored 73 points on 33% shooting. That's abysmal. That's the Orlando Magic call. They want their offensive playbook back. That is horrendous. And you know who didn't play? Their best offensive big man, Greg Munro. But you know why he didn't play? Because Kidd didn't, didn't decided he, he shouldn't play. It is a nonsensical decision. Non, it is nonsense. There is no other way of phrasing it. It is nonsense. Greg Monroe has defensive deficiencies. Absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. No doubt. Should they have signed him to that contract? Yes, because it was a big-name free agent, and you know, he came there with good intentions and, and, and produced, to be honest. And he's produced this year when he's played. He's played some of the best basketball of his career. His advanced numbers are actually through the roof. He's, I think he's got a net rating of like plus 10. His offensive rating is over 100. His defensive rating, is, I think he's like 105, and his defensive rating is 92. Very, very good stuff. And he doesn't play at all. Your team scored 23 points in the second half, Jason. 23 points in a half. 
you shot at 33%, and you've got a guy on the bench whose primary task is scoring and finishing at high efficiency, and you don't play him at all. And when asked about it, oh, why didn't you play Greg? Oh, well, we've got three centers, and I was finding it hard to play all three of them. So you know, we talked about it. They weren't happy with there being three of them there. They wanted to get into some rhythm. So you know, I spoke to Greg before the game, and we decided to sit him out of this one so the others could get in rhythm. That's all well and good in theory, Jason. But John Henson and Miles Plumley are shit. You don't get these players into rhythm. It makes no sense. I don't care how bad Greg Munro is defensively. I don't care. He's been better defensively than John Henson this season. He's been better defensively than Miles Plumley this season. And he's been shitloads better offensively than both of them. And when your team scores 73 points in a game and 23 points and a half on 33% shooting, you might want offense in there. I'm glad you lost. I'm glad you got embarrassed. I'm glad you got smashed because that is a disgusting decision. Now, Kidd is going to do this shit all season. I've got no doubt about this because he's going to, oh, we've got our, we've got our three centers. Now, John Hammond cops some blame for signing these dickheads to contracts that there was no nece- no necessity for Miles Plumley to get a four-year, $40-plus million dollar contract. Ridiculous decision. Ridiculous. But Kidd doesn't have to play them. And then when you're not playing one, don't choose your best one not to play. There are lots of defensive issues. I, I understand this. But there is no world in which... 17 minutes of Miles Plumley and 28 minutes of John Henson is better than zero minutes of Greg Munro in a game where you can't score. What do you do as a Greg Munro owner? He is probably one of your worst players on your roster, but there is zero chance that they don't play him next game. Zero. Well, if they don't, I'm not sure if Kid keeps a job. But yeah, there's some shenanigans going on in that front office anyway, so maybe he does. Munro is going to play in the next game, and he's probably going to play 20 minutes. And he's actually been valuable in limited minutes. And if he was getting 30 minutes, he would be a top 30 player. There is no doubt with what he's been doing this season. Defensively, offensively, efficiency-wise, everything he's been doing well. So if someone drops him, depending on who I've got, I might grab him just to see if this is the, if this is the turning point for what Kid does. But I have very little faith. Because he's a very bad coach. He's a very bad coach. We don't need 16 minutes of Jason Terry as well, by the way. And Johnny Henson, in saying all this, played 28 minutes. He had 12 and 5, and he had three blocks. That's that's good stuff, John. Good, usable numbers. Do I want to get him in a 12-team league? No, because there is zero reliability in him playing 28 minutes ever again or or scoring. The blocks will come. You'll probably get two blocks out of him in 20 minutes, but who knows if, if that'll be the case moving forward. He's probably a 14-team league guy. Plumlee's like a 38-team league guy. And Monroe is a hold in 12s because this was an abject disaster. And when controversial decisions happen and they turn to big piles of shit that have been set on fire, it can't continue. It surely can't continue. So let's watch this space. Speaking of piles of shit set on fire, Tony Snell scored 14 points in 32 minutes. He had six rebounds and he hit four triples. A good game from Snell. He's had a couple of good games this season, but it's not consistent enough to be used really in any sort of fantasy leagues. Also, uh, Giannis, not his best game, 14-7-4 with three blocks, while Jabari Parker was a putrid 5-20 of for 11 points with eight boards in 33 minutes. Dallavadova failed to score, missed all seven of his shots, but... Nine assists, four boards, two steals is still really valuable. He's not going to be a big scorer, and you would know that when you drafted him. But getting those assists 
is is key. It's also key because Kidd's just taking the ball out of Giannis's hands a lot of the time, which makes very little sense as well. But you know, Dally's going to get these 28 minutes a night. He'll get you six assists, maybe one and a half steals, maybe one and a half threes, and that can be useful. It won't be for everyone, but it will be for some people. Also got a 16-minute double-double out of Michael Beasley, 13 points and 10 boards. No other stats there. Not really understanding why Beasley's actually getting minutes at all uh, in this team. It was a productive night from him, but he's a he's a 16-team league sort of guy. My boy Malcolm Brogdon struggled as well. Zero of seven from the field. Just the four rebounds and one assist. Not his best night. Only played the uh, the 17 minutes, did Brogo. Onto the heat, there was the return of Goran Dragic, but we still had no justice wins, though. Hassan Whiteside had foul trouble very, very early. Played seven minutes in the first half and then ended with 12 points, 17 boards, two steals, and seven blocks. And you think, shit, imagine how much they would have got smashed if he played 35 minutes. Huge night from Whiteside, and you'll see later how, how good a season he is having. Dragic was back. His shot wasn't falling, but ended with 16-6-4, and four, so that's pretty good. And Joshy Richardson continuing to get it done as a starter. 18-3 and three with four triples in 32 minutes. Now, they, they did start Dragic, Richardson, and Waiters. Uh, at the 1, 2, and 3. So Wade has played another 35 minutes. He's the most infuriating player to watch in the NBA. 23.7 boards, 4 assists are really good numbers. But I, I believe that when uh, when Winslow comes back, Waiters is going to the bench. He's losing 10 minutes because he's not a, he's not a good player. They could play Winslow at the 4, and they will play Winslow at the 4. I don't believe they run that as a starting lineup, or I don't believe they run that as a one of their major sort of lineups. So, you know, I think Waiters' value is going to drop. He's not really even a 12-team league guy at this point. Not a great night from Tyler Johnson, 8-8-5. Eight, eight, and five. And with uh, with Dragic back, I don't believe that he's a, a guy that you want to hold on to in majority of 12-team leagues. Derek Williams starting. He has the Noah Vonley Memorial starting job. 15 minutes for two points. The power forward you want, if there's any you want, is Jim Johnson. 30 minutes for James. Nine points, one triple, 10 boards, one steal. One block, and this is what he does. Triple ones, get some rebounds. He's playing minutes. Joshua McRoberts didn't play at all. Luke Babbitt played two minutes. Williams played 15 minutes. So he's a name to watch. He's a 14-team league guy at the moment, but I, I don't hate him in a 12-team league, especially if you just you, you need those triple one numbers because he, he can come out and he could have a five-steal, five-block game, and I'd go, yeah, I've seen him actually do that before. And that's not a surprise. It's not like Monte Ellis having five blocks. This is what James Johnson can do. So he's going to get these 25 to 27 minutes as a, as a power forward. Yeah, he'll share some time with Winslow, but Spolstra has no trust of McRoberts, no trust of Babbitt, no trust of Derek Williams, no trust of Willie Reed really either. So there's going to be a fair bit of James Johnson moving forward. So he's a name not to discount even in standard leagues. Philadelphia and Minnesota, Joel Embiid hurt his ankle in this one. But it was all good. He came back on the court. It wasn't the same foot that he had the issues with. That was his right foot. This one today was his left ankle. Still double-double, 10-10 and 10 with a block in 22 minutes, but not his uh, not his best night. Ersan Ilyasova remained starting, 11-3-3 and 3 in 21 minutes for Ersan. Or Dario Saric has really played well since coming off the bench. 27 minutes, 16-4-1, two threes, two steals, and is sort of running more of this second unit and doing more rebounding, playing a little bit of center as well over the last couple of games. I wasn't a massive fan of holding on to Saric in 12-team leagues, but he's he's borderline there. You can add him, but he's he's not going to be a guy where I'm going to go, this guy's going to be a top 100 guy by the end of the year. I don't have that feeling about him. Spanish Chocolate struggled, only the 24 minutes for him, 
zero points with two assists and a steal, while TJ McConnell got the 24 minutes as well. They split the minutes evenly, 6-6-7 six, six, and seven, and two steals. Much like Delavadova, you know, Rodriguez has that value just for his assists, but there will be turds thrown in there as well, exactly like there was in this game. And speaking of turds, Robert Covington played 28 minutes. He went 1 of 12. This is a ridiculous shooting slump from Covington. Four points, three rebounds, one assist, and one steal. I can completely understand the frustration with him. I have dropped him in a 10-team league. I would hold him in a 12-team league because the minutes are still there. The shot is going to fall. He is not going to shoot at 10% or 8%. He's not going to continue to do that. We, we all understand that. But he looks really poor. There's a lot of confidence issues happening. And if there's you want to stream to get you know, two extra games in, I can completely understand that because... Yeah, Covington's ceiling is not going to be as high as it was last year because of the addition of Sharich and the return of Simmons and guys like Bayless and all these other players who are sort of Embiid you know, entering into the mix. And Nerland's Noel coming back. But he's better than this. We'll see how it goes. He's definitely not a strong drop. He's not a strong hold either, though. On to the Timberwolves. Still no Shabazz Muhammad. Still no Brandon Rush. Uh, we go... Best shooter in the league, apparently. Seven, no, 14 of 20 for 35 points. Also, 10 boards, four assists, three threes, one steal. The man is on fire. Carl Anthony Towns, we talked about already. And Gorgie Jang always does well against Philly. Another double-double, 12 and 10 with a steal and a block. A big night from Gorgie. And Zachy Levine didn't get the shot to go. Five of 14, had 11 points with a triple one. Not not his best night, nor was it for Rick Rubio, who went 4-4-5 four, four, and five here. He struggled a bit. Chris Dunn played the 23 minutes. He didn't do much better, 2-3-2 two, and two in that limited minutes. But it, they didn't really need to do a huge amount. This game was over, basically. Basically in the first quarter, so wasn't too much of a stress there. Adrian Payne, three games in a row of him getting playing time, and three games in a row of him doing well. 13 minutes for Payne, eight points, but his real value came in this one from getting two steals and three blocks. What do we make of it? I don't think you make anything of it, because when Shabazz comes back, when Brandon Rush comes back, I don't think we're going to see Payne, because they're playing Bielitsa at the three, and when Shabazz comes back, Bielitsa will just move to the four, and that'll take those nine minutes that Payne's playing, and City's ass back on the bench. So it's been great while it's been happening. It's been weird to watch, but it's been great for him. Um, and, and will it continue? You would have to guess. Probably not at this point. Portland and Houston. CJ McCollum, 26-3-4. Really good percentages there. Nothing happening in the defensive numbers, but but a good night there. And Mo Harkless played 31. He went 19-6, and six, had three triples. You know my take on him. He's only owned in 41% of leagues, which seems low. He's probably owned in yours. And if he's not, I would grab him. Myers Leonard moved from the bench. No, he didn't. He moved from starting to the bench and played just six minutes. Had six points, both on threes, but... Obviously, uh, he hasn't been getting it done for Terry Stott. So we saw more Noah Vonley, who played 16 minutes and had nine points. Um, but neither of those guys should be interesting you. Mason Plumley, four, eight, and seven in 30, 30 minutes, a block. He's a he's a 12-team league guy. And we're seeing a little bit of life from Evan Turner. 12, four, and three in his 28 minutes. But I'm not uh, definitely not running out to grab him. He got some extra run. Well, not really some extra run. He got some extra usage because Alan Crabb suffered a bang on the knee. Uh, he did come back into action. He played 20 minutes, five points with a, a rebound and an assist. So there's not much to really love with Crab there. And, and you know that I don't believe him to be a 12-team league guy. Dame Lillard struggled 7 of 17 for 18 points. Did have five rebounds and five assists, but definitely not his best night. On to the Rockets. Trevor Reza, another four triples. 
16 and 7 with a steal. So he continues to get it done, as does Clint Capella. Now, there was no Nene, so there was a chance that we are going to see a lot of Capella. But Mike D'Antoni put a stop to that because we've got to make sure we get 21 minutes of Montrez Harrell. Capella continues to look good when he plays. 15 and 7, a steal and two blocks. He's absolutely a must-own player. And he also hit another one of two free throws. That makes eight of his last 11 free throws. It is small sample size, but it's every game that he's just doing it the right way and he's hitting the free throws. So, you know, I mentioned this yesterday. In a roto league, grab him. Sit him on your bench and see how he goes affecting your free throw percentage. In a, in a standard league, grab him and see how it goes. And if it starts to be an issue with the free throws, either punt him or punt him. Either one. He has to, he has to be owned. And Tony's slowly, re- not fully realizing it, but slowly realizing it. Pat Bev was back. He played 25 minutes, 11 points, three re- two rebounds, three assists, and three blocks. The three blocks is clearly an anomaly. But the other numbers, I think, are pretty representative of what you can expect from Beverly this season. Not a strong 12-team league ad, but he could be, depending on who you've got to drop. He'll give you those threes. He'll give you some steals. And he's generally a pretty aggressive rebounder as a point guard, but his ceiling is, is fairly low. 13 points for Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon on the bench. Only played 24 minutes. But again, this game was a bit of a blowout, so I'm not sure we can go out and say that Gordon's only going to play 24 moving forward. 16-5-3 and three for Gordo with two triples in those 24 minutes. And I mentioned Montrez Harrell. He had 9-9-3, nine, nine, and three, but he'll probably go back to being a DMP CD when Nene returns. Sam Decker looked good as well. He had 6-2 and two in his 17 minutes, and he is going to continue to get a bigger role, I believe, as the season moves on. It won't be 12-team league usable, but your deeper league guys, your 14s and 16s, you need to start having a look at Sam Decker because he's looking pretty good out there. The Chicago Bulls and the Utah Jazz, Jim Butler, 20 and 12, three assists, two steals, and two triples. A good night there, but this was a really, really bad game. Nobody could shoot. The Bulls had eight assists only, just a horrible amount of assists, and they were without Rajon Rondo, and they won, and they beat the Jazz, and they played defense. Yes, the assists weren't there, but they, they still ended up getting it done. Taj had 8 and 9 in his 27. Dwayne Wade had 18. And Rob Lope, Robin Lopez, offensive juggernaut Robin Lopez, he played 38 minutes and took 16 shots. He hit just five of them, but he just continues to shoot. I don't really understand the, the rationale behind it. I don't understand what Fred Hoiberg is thinking where he's just going out there and saying, all right, guys, Robin, you go out there, shoot as many times as you can. No worries, coach. I don't. Where is that coming from? It doesn't make a lot of sense, but... You love it as a fantasy owner because the minutes are there. He had 12 boards. He had two blocks as well. So some pretty uh, some pretty interesting developments, especially considering like two weeks ago, he was playing like 19 minutes a game and looked to be completely out of the rotation. We had no Rondo, as I mentioned. So Jaron Grant started not quite the same as the game against Portland. 29 minutes, 6 and 5 with two steals and two of 10 shooting, which is probably more representative of his shot, which is not great uh, as opposed to what we saw against Portland. But we know that he's... He can he can do stuff as a point guard when he is called on. You know I don't think there's any doubt that Rondo will take the starting job back. Not happy about it, but I don't think there's going to be any doubt that that that's the case. Bob Porter still looks lost out there. On to Utah, Rudy Gobert, 16 and 13 with three blocks, and Dante Exum made the start again in place of George. He'll probably his best game. 34 minutes for Dante, 14, four and two with two triples and a steal. Took 12 shots and looked a little more confident on offense. He's He's got a chance to be a 12-team league guy in the next two seasons, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. We saw Quinn Snyder go back to this nonsensical, let's start Boris Diaw in place of Derek Favors. And at this point, we just have to accept the fact that Boris Diaw isn't good anymore. 22 minutes for Diaw, three points, and there's really no benefit in it. 
There's no benefit in splitting the minutes between him and Lyles anyway. Lyles played 21. He had 11 and 6. Had a steal. And even however long Favors is going to be out, I don't, I'm not sure that adding Lyles is the right move because unless Snyder changes his thought process, is it going to, uh, is it going to happen? I don't know. I don't hate adding Lyles and just seeing what happens, but this is what we saw early in the season, and then it happened again here. So it seems to be a fairly consistent pattern from uh, from Snyder. Gordy Hayward's shot was abysmal. 3 of 15 in 41 minutes. Had 8 points, 12 boards, 3 assists, and 2 steals. Not, not a good night there. And we can say the same for Rod Hood, who had 12 and 6 on 16 shots. That is it for the games from Thursday. Now, for you guys watching on the video... When I recorded this, there was no sun. It was all dark. So I thought, you know what? That's fine. And now all of a sudden, the sun is shining so brightly in my face that I can barely see. So I was going to go and do the uh, the top 20 uh, top twenty players now before we had the break. I'm going to have the break now. I'm going to block out this bloody sun. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to look at the top 20 players over the last two weeks. Talk about some under and overvalued players and uh, and then get into some DFS action. in my face out of absolutely nowhere. So let's look at the top 20 players over the last uh, over the last two weeks. Let's start uh, at the bottom. Number 20 is Brook Lopez. So the early season panics were real because he was... I'm out of breath because I was climbing up on counters and all that sort of stuff. It was real. He was not only ignored in the offense, he was getting these rest days, he was playing 21 minutes, and yeah, the rest days are still going to come which is going to be a more common thing throughout the NBA, no doubt. But the production's back, his place in the offense is back, and we'll see what happens when Jeremy Lin comes back, but that should be better for him. So really good to see him there at 20. Dame Lillard's at 19, Isaiah Thomas at 18, Andre Drummond up to 17. And remember, these are head-to-head rankings. So what I do is I get a standard 8-cat eight, eight rankings, and I'll take out each player's worst two categories to give you more of an accurate representation because we know... 
that if we look at just total 8-cat numbers, you're going to have Andre Drummond down at 70, and that is completely ridiculous. Because for a punting person, he is a top 20 guy. For a non-punting person, he's outside the top 150. Nobody ever picks him at 70. It makes no sense. So Drummond is there at 17. Dwighty Howard, exactly the same thing. He's at number 16. And he's look, he's missed the last game with that thigh bruise, but he's been really good. And I think he's surprised a lot of people with the way that he's played, but but he's been almost back to being uh, Orlando Dwight. Not quite, not quite at that level. 15 has been is Kev Durant. 14 is Kawhi. 13 is Draymond. 12 is Kyle Lowry. 11 is Mike Conley, who has uh, who's really turned it on over the last couple of weeks. Into the top 10, Giannis is at number 10. Whiteside is at 9. LeBron at 8. Butler at 7. Russ at 6. Chrissy Paul at 5. Kemba Walker at number 4 over the last two weeks. That might constitute to you a buy, a sell high, as would Mike Conley at 11. But who's going to give you back top 5 value? Nobody. And where's Walker going to fall to? 20th? 25th, 18th, not enough to, to consider a sell partially high. Same with Conley. He might drop from 11th to 25th, but you're not going to get 11th value back for him. You'll probably get 25th value back for him, which is what he'll be, with the potential that maybe he actually stays this hot. At number three, Tony Davis. At number two, Jim Harden. And at number one, Steph Curry. The panic was there with Steph. Again, Oh, he's not getting the shots. Why did I waste a number three pick, a number two pick, a number one pick? He had a, an average first week, right? Where when I first did this two weeks ago, he was the 20th ranked player. And the last two weeks, I believe he's been third and first. So it's back in business. It's not Steph Curry, who's 40% better than everybody else, which is the Steph Curry we had last season. But it's Steph Curry who's still in that consideration as being a top five guy who's hitting a shitload of threes, who's doing it efficiently, who's scoring, he gets assists, he gets steals. It's all been, uh, it's all pretty good from Steph Curry. So your your fears with a lot of these guys, like like Lopez, like Steph, like Conley to a degree, have been sorted, I guess is probably the best way of putting it. Let's look at some players who are currently overvalued and undervalued based on these last two weeks of rankings. Jeffy Teague had came in at number 27. Now, Teague had a, had a horrendous start to the season, um, and he's turned it around. But he's also not the 27th best player. And it's fueled by some very, very hot shooting from Teague at the moment. So that's that, that's fueling this increase in ranking. Will it um, will it continue at, at 50 plus percent? Probably not. So some drop-off is coming, and I put him here because, not that I think that he's you know, falling outside the top 100 or anything, but people's opinions of Teague are generally higher than what his ability is. So you might be able to acquire a top 40 player, Nick Batum, for Jeff Teague, maybe, probably not, but maybe, because people think that Teague is better than what he actually is, and that would be why I'd, I'd look into that. At 44, pretty straightforward. Bebe Noguera is at 44. We've seen what's happened the last two games. No need, but if no need to, yeah, to consider him that player. But if someone's perusing rankings or player raiders or whatever, they'll see him high, and you might be able to pull it over someone's eyes if they've got no idea. Pay attention. Tyson Chandler's at 49. He was back from his uh, bereavement leave. He is going to be off again. But 
that ranking is quite high. I don't believe that it's able to stick that high. If someone buys into it, sure. Geordie Clarkson at 61. Not that I don't like Geordie Clarkson, but he's doing it on the back of 51% shooting, which he can be a good finisher. I don't think he can be that good of a finisher. And with the limits on his minutes, I think it's going to be hard for him to get to 61. Now, Luke Walton's coming out and saying, well, he's not a bench player. He's, he's getting started as minutes. But for him, that means 25 minutes. And it's not enough for him to maintain 60 top 60 value when the shot doesn't quite fall. So Clarkson's up there. I don't think it lasts at that level. CJ Miles at 64. Talked about him ad nauseum. It's already started the drop-off. You don't think you'll get many buyers for him, but you could. And Wilson Chandler at 68. I also don't believe he has been a historically low field goal percentage guy and is shooting at a significantly higher percentage this season. If someone thinks he's a top 75 guy, then you take their top 75 guy off their hands in order to uh, in order to maximize the, the value of what Wilson Chandler is currently doing. On the flip side, some buy low targets. Chandler Parsons is 270. It takes some, uh, it takes some balls. It takes some patience. But I think I'm, I'm. I think it'll pay off. I'm pretty sure it'll pay off. He's not the 270th ranked player. We know that much. I think he can be a top 50 guy at some point this season. He's a real buy low guy. So is Aaron Gordon, who's currently ranked 223rd over the last two weeks. And I'll put Nikola Jokic in this combo as well because he's ranked 222nd. They've been disappointing in the roles that they've been given. They've been disappointing with some of their play, but a lot of it is role based. The two teams are struggling, so I don't believe they'll stay in these roles. So Gordon will get dropped. Add him. Jokic will get dropped. Add him. Buy them for the worst player on your roster. Buy them for CJ Miles. Buy them for Wilson Chandler. I would do it. They're having as low a value as they can possibly get at the moment, but it will change. Goran Dragic is at 141. He's going to be much better than that. No one will value him at 141, but they will value him maybe at 70 or 80 when I think that he's a top 50 guy. So get some get some value out of him. Vic Oladipo at 110. I talked about him exclu- not exclusively because lots of people spoke about him extensively yesterday. I think he's really going to start turning things around. There was some panic around that Zach Lowe had an article saying that the Thunder are going to move Victor Oladipo to the sixth man role. That's not what the article said. I went and read it because I did have a few people go, oh, yeah, Oladipo is moving to the six-man role. What does this mean? Is he? Interesting. So I went and read it. And what the article actually says is it says that when the Thunder acquired Victor Oladipo, it was with the purpose of playing him as a sixth man. So you'd have Westbrook, Robertson, and then some seven-foot dickhead at small forward by the name of Kevin Durant. That was how they wanted to do it run Oladipo as the sixth man and, and run for there. Great. That plan is scuttled. You can't do that plan anymore because you don't have Kevin Durant there anymore. So that is what the Thunder wanted to do. The Thunder would also look to do that if they can acquire a high-scoring wing. Now, Rudy's gay, Ru, Rudy's, Rudy Gay's name was thrown out at some point and even mentioned in the Zach Lowe article. But then Zach goes on to say it's not easy to just acquire a scoring wing it's probably not going to happen. So Oladipo is not moving to the bench. So a lot of people, oh, if he moves to the bench, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. It's just not happening. I just don't see it happening for him. Because all of the situations that Lowe mentioned, one of them is impossible because it involved Kevin Durant being on the team, and the second one involves them getting a high-scoring wing. And how are they getting that? 
how are they just getting Rudy Gay? I, I don't think it's happening. So Oladipo, he's going to be better than he is, but don't you know make sure you read these stories and read what it actually says, because it didn't say that they're moving him to a sixth man role. It said that they were going to do it in in June. But shit's changed since then. Kyrie's at 74 as well, which is low. Yeah, he'll, he'll be better than that. Uh, I think he's got a real chance of cracking the top 15 this season, at least the top 20. So send some feelers out and, and see how you go. Also, I thought I'd announce this today. I did my first in-season trade. Now, I don't do many in-season trades at all. I think I did two last season. I did a few dynasty pre-season trades this year. I acquired Clint Capella. I acquired... Who else did I acquire? Mo Harkless. I acquired a lot of draft picks. I acquired Nick Miritich in another dynasty. I did a few dynasty off-season trades, in-season trades. Two last year, I believe I did. And I think they came in February. So I did one today. I traded my John Wall for Damien Lillard. Tell me what you think. You probably don't know the, the, the extent of my team. I went with a weird four-punt block in a nine-cat league. I punted turnovers, rebounds, blocks, and field goal percentage. I had a shitload of assists uh, just to get a bit more scoring, a bit more free throw percentage. Lillard for Wall. It ended up being a win-win for both both uh, both parties. Um, and that was yeah, that was the trade that I did. So yeah, I thought I'd announce that because it just doesn't happen very often. I just do not uh, I do not partake in trading all that all that often. All right, let's look now at DFS. No other song because I've already had my. Yeah, why not? I might have a, I might have a drink of water with my uh, Western Bulldogs Premiership bottle. There you go. Haven't mentioned it for a while, so I thought I'd throw it in. Let's look on Fangel at the perfect DFS lineup. Derek Rose at 35.4. Brandon Jennings at 38. Dion Waiters at 37.4. Jim Harden at 63.4. We go at 52. Jim Butler at 41.9. Gorgie Jeng at 30.5. Dario Saric at 25.3. Hassan Whiteside at 49.4. For a total of 373.3. A weird day on DFS, to be honest. Especially when you go look at this uh, DraftKings perfect lineup. Harden at 72. Wade is at 37.75. Beasley at 26. James Johnson at 30. Whiteside at 52.25. Jennings at 42.25. We go at 57. And Gobert at 40.25 for a total of 357.5. Before we get into the other DFS games, someone tweeted at me today, Shane, and said, oh, I've been, you know, I've really had issues getting nicknames in my life. I really want to get a nickname. Can you give me an Aussie nickname for my name? So if anyone else wants an Aussie nickname, let me know. Tweet at me. Uh, Shane, we gave you a couple. And I initially just went with Shano, but that's, yeah. We, we, we settled on uh, we settled on Warney for uh, for Shane. I think, he, I believe he changed his uh, his Twitter handle to the US Warney. So the US Warney, shout out to you, Shane. Anyone else wants an Aussie nickname? I can, uh, I can sit here and come up with them all night. Let's look at the games in question now as we, uh, as we go through this 10-game slate for a Friday. So there's going to be a stack of value. And there's a stack of value because there's a stack of questionable players. Might run through all the guys who are actually questionable now before we get into the games. Just to give you an idea, Rod Stuckey, Thabo Cephalosha, Trevion Graham, I'm sure you're all waiting for him to come back, Dwight Howard, J.R. Smith, Al Horford's doubtful, Jay Crowder, Anthony Davis is questionable, Dirk Nowitzki, Darren Williams, Tony Allen, James Ennis, Will Barton is doubtful, and Wes Johnson is questionable. So lots of guys with injuries heading into the um, heading into tomorrow's uh, tomorrow's games or today's games, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. The first game we're going to talk about 
is the Phoenix Suns and the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are favored by 7.5 points, and the total here is 219. I already mentioned that Rod Stuckey might be back, so that puts a little bit of uh, doubt into anything CJ Miles did, if you don't already have doubt in what he can do anyway. Let's look at the point guards. Jeffy Teague's at 6,500. It, it doesn't get any better than playing Phoenix as a guard. Teague has been playing well. He's averaging 35 in the last five anyway. And now he takes on a team that can't defend shit, really. So Teague is a really, really solid play. There's a bit of risk associated with him, but he's been putting up some some relatively consistent numbers numbers of late. Eric Bledsoe, 7,200. I can't envisage any situation where I'd spend 7,200 on Bledsoe over Jeff Teague at 6,500. Aaron Brooks, Mighty Joe Young, no interest in those guys, clearly. At shooting guard, Monte Ellis, he had 31 in the last game, but remember, it was fueled by five blocks. And at 5,600, he looks marginally appealing. And you think, in a good matchup against a Phoenix team, can Monte Ellis get you 25 to... Can he get 28 points? I would say yes, but I also just am a little bit worried that he goes into Monte in his shell mode, which is what has happened for a big chunk of this season, and that might limit what he can do. So he's not a strong play, but but he's got some value. Devin Booker at 6,500 just has no appeal to me at that price point. And Brandon Knight at 4,800, he had a monster in the game before that, but he'd really been stinking up um, in those previous few games. So he is maybe in a tournament, but seriously, I, I put very little faith in him being able to do that again. Small forward TJ Warren has definitely been down the last couple, only averaging 23.5 in the last five games. Is he worth a look here? Well, the Paul George defensive factor is not working in his favor. The price at 6000 is also not working all that much in his favor. I will probably leave TJ Warren alone. CJ Miles at 44. He's trending down. It is a good matchup, but he's not of interest to me. And Paulie George at 8600 Well, when you're looking at, at wings who are in that price range, there's a guy that I prefer who plays for San Antonio. But George at 8600 he's been a little bit better of late, giving us these 40-point nights the last couple of nights, but he still hasn't been at his best. It is not a difficult matchup for him in this one, so there's a real chance he can exceed 45. But I'm not I'm not putting all my eggs in the Paul George basket. At power forward, Thad Young's at 5,200. Yeah, quietly, he's just getting it done. Not really you know, thrilling us in our seasonal leagues, but he's averaging over 26 in the last three in 30 minutes. And at 5,200, that's almost right on value. I don't believe his upside's very high. But I believe consistency-wise in a cash game, uh, there are a lot worse options at power forward. He is one of those guys that is in consideration. 3,800 for Jared Dudley. Some big games, some piss-poor games like the last one. Tournaments only, really. not. I'm not that, that keen on him. Marquise Chris, I couldn't be less keen on using him. Uh, Kevin Serafin, Alex Len. Lavoy Allen, they're the other power forwards who we don't need to pay attention to. Miles Turner is at 6,100. Just not, not for me. It, it is a good matchup. He did have 31 in the last game, but I need him to have 31 again here. And, and I'm just not I'm not convinced. In a tournament, I, w- I would look at it, but he's not he's not overly e- exciting me. Tyson Chandler at 4,700. Um, he only played the 21 minutes in the last game. Real chance of that happening again, so he, he's very hard to rely upon, given the way that uh, that Earl Watson runs things with this team. And by the way, I, I say that the way he runs things, the the way that he runs things is poorly. The Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets. 
no spread out for this one because we don't know the status of Dwight Howard just yet. Obviously, Tabo Cephalosha is also questionable, so there's a few a few things that can that can change. Dennis Schroeder is at six thousand dollars. He's been putting up these sort of high twenties numbers, but it's not quite enough at six thousand. Despite the matchup being a positive and point guards being able to put up big numbers against Kemba and, and the Hornets, not sure I want to spend the six thousand on Dennis just yet. As for Kemba, he's at 8,500, so he is pretty expensive. He's been killing teams, and the Hawks are, are, are a really tasty matchup. So 40 points shouldn't be too much of a stretch for Kemba. He's more of a tournament guy to me, though. I don't have $8,500 worth of, of cash confidence in Kemba Walker. Um, Malcolm Delaney and Kemba Walker aren't really worth... Not Kemba, and Ramon Sessions aren't really worth looking at. Nick Batum at 6,700. He's been uh, he's been playing really really well. I, I I'm behind that. I, I can use Nick Batum. I think there's value in looking at him. Uh, Timmy Hardaway, if Tarbo is out at 3700, Tim Tim has value in both uh, tournaments and cash, I believe. Kyle Korver is strictly a tournament player, and um, Torian Prince is the other guy who will uh, who will benefit if if Tarbo is out. I don't think it's going to be enough of a benefit to use him in uh, in DFS. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is at 5,200, has really sort of struggled to to get back to that value over the last couple of games, but he will throw in a big one occasionally. So in a tournament, at 5,200, it's not a bad price, not not the best option, though. Kent Bazemore is at 4,800. Yeah, no, I, no, I can't bring myself to to use him. And, and Tarbo or Marco Ballinelli, I don't really think there's much uh, much interest in either of those guys. At Power Forward, I'm back on the Marvin Williams train. I don't... Someone questioned me that day when I said, you know, I liked Marvin for cash because he'd been giving us reliable numbers. And then I said the next day when he, he had a terrible game, I said, he's not a good player. He's not a good player. But he had been giving us just consistent value basically every game until he went one of nine and had a real stinker. He's not a good game. He's not a good player. But I believe that he'll be back on the horse here. He's at 4,800 and he'll get you those 25 points again. And that makes him useful. Still don't think he's a good player, but it's about, are you giving me bang for my buck? And I think Marvin can. Frank Kaminsky at 4,100 had a big one in the last game. That felt a little fluky, so I don't think that we'll we'll, uh, we'll trust that again. 7,400 for Paul Millsap. No Dwight. I'm all aboard. He had 39 the last one. Dwight plays. I'd probably ease off Paul at 7,400. Mike Muscala, obviously, if Dwight is out, he's at 4,300. He had almost 26 in the last game, so we'd definitely be looking at using Mike if if Dwight is out, otherwise, I think he can probably be just left just left alone. At center, Cody Zellers at 4,200. Really big game from him in the last outing. Had 28 points, but he is up and down. Um, to get 24 points out of him is not overly difficult, but I also don't put a huge amount of uh, trust in him being able to do it. So he's probably a stay away. Whereas Dwight at 7,700, I don't really like guys coming back from lower body injuries in the first game. I just have too much doubt as to how they're going to move. Did they come back too early? Did they come back too soon? Which are both the same things. Um, did any of that stuff happen? So yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a stay away for me, Dwight. The next game up, where are we? We're looking at the Detroit Pistons. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cavs are favored by nine. The total here is 205. J.R. Smith is the only injury concern at the moment. He's listed as questionable. LeBron will be back after sitting out that game against the Pacers due to rest. Kyrie at 7,400. I think Kyrie is just a safe cash play now. Catavius Cole Pope is a good defender. 
Kyrie has still done pretty well against this Detroit team. He's averaging 33 across the last three. At 7,400, you want him to go a little bit higher than that. And I think that he can get you 35 plus. I think he's a, I think he's in a, a really, a really decent spot to have a have a nice game here. Kyrie Ish Smith's at 5400. Big game from him in the last one. Positive matchup going up against Kyrie. I just don't put much trust in Ish Smith. So uh, there are other point guards, much many 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 other point guards I'd rather versus Ish. Uh, JR at 4300. Similar rule to I mentioned with Howard coming back off a sprained ankle. He's already. He's already can be sort of up and down with what he produces, so he's probably not a, an ideal target. Contavious Caldwell Pope, he's at forty nine hundred. I, I like him here at forty nine hundred. It might sound weird going against the Cavs, but he's done well against them in the past. Um, he's riding a, a mini sort of hot streak at the moment, and at forty nine hundred, it's not a big investment. He can return you twenty seven points, fairly fairly comfortable. Thirty six hundred for Iman Shumpert. If Jr's out, then he probably starts, but it, it doesn't really. Yeah, he might turn in a 20-point performance, but he has more value in seasonal category leagues than he does in uh, in DFS situations. LeBron at 10,100. Um, hasn't done that well against Detroit previously, but I still feel pretty confident in being able to get 45-ish plus out of LeBron on most nights. At power forward, Toby Harris has been really kicking it at the moment. 6,100. All, all aboard using Toby. Yeah, it's not a not a great matchup, um, given the way that the Cavs do defend opposition power forwards. But Toby has been playing some uh, some pretty amazing ball at the moment, so he's he's good to go. As is Kevin Love at seven thousand eight hundred, basically a lock for thirty five plus on uh, on most nights that he plays at, at this point. Channing Fry at four thousand one hundred, hitting the threes. It's not necessarily converting to DFS points at the required rate. So he, he's more of a tournament play that that might pay off. And Johnny Lure at forty seven hundred. Just rock solid. Just rock solid 4,700 cash game. I do like it a fair bit. At center, Tristan Thompson's at 4,700. Historically, hasn't done well against Detroit. He's been a little bit up and down the last couple of games. Not sure that he's uh, he's the one for me. Whereas Andre Drummond, I like Andre Drummond here at 8,000. Um, I, I think he's in a decent spot, but I wouldn't use him in cash. Oh, he's more of a tournament guy to look at. But I do like him. I think that there is uh, a pretty easy path for him to get... Um, for him to get 40 points, that's what I was trying to say. The next game up, the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. The Warriors are favored by seven, and the total is 226 points in this one. Al Horford, again, doubtful. Uh, Jay Crowder has been upgraded to questionable, so we're obviously going to get Crowder coming back soon. And that has an impact on what happens in this game, just in terms of um, yeah, fantasy value. Steph Curry, 9,100. He's been easily attaining that value pretty much every game. He got a 47-point average across the last five. I think he's fine Fine to use. The Celtics have been allowing some de- some decent scores to point guard, so he's uh, he's okay to look at. Marcus Smart at 5,600. If Crowder plays, then I would lean off Smart. If Crowder doesn't play, I think he's a he's a decent, a decent guy to look at. 5,600 is just a little bit too expensive, though. Isaiah Thomas at 8,300 feels a little bit expensive in this uh, in this sort of a matchup as well. Shooting guards, Clay, 5,700 tournament punt. Hopefully the shot goes in because when it does, he'll he'll easily exceed that. But he has been just a little bit up and down, so it is hard. It is hard to rely upon him in cash at the moment. It's not terribly hard, but it is relatively difficult. 7,000 for Avery Bradley is too expensive for what he does, and he does it well. Like His lowest score in the last five has been 30 points. His highest has been 36. But at 7,000, I just want I want a little bit more reliability. No, that's not true. I want a little bit more 
scoring. I want him to get me 35 or 34, not 32 or 31, which is what he's giving over the last three and five games, respectively. Pat McCaw, eh, closed the game in the last one, but I don't think that's really going to have too much of an impact on us here at small forward. Durant at 9,700. I think that Durant, you can almost lock him in for 10,000. In fact, not 10,000, for 50. I think that Durant is probably a little bit of a better option than LeBron. You're saving $400 on him. And I think that he might have a bit of extra motivation against uh, a Celtics team, which wasn't shy in calling him out after he chose to go to Golden State, especially if Jay Crowder plays. I think we might see a, a pretty decent Kevin Durant performance here. As for Crowder, not using him. That's my rule. Lower body injuries coming back. Not interested in using him, even if he does play. At Powerford, Draymond at 8,200. He's really smashed the Celtics in the past, uh, and he's been just rock solid. Let's get me 40 points, 39 points most nights. I, I really like using Draymond here. Amir Johnson, if Horford is out as we expect at 4,300, he's worth a look. Definitely, he's worth a look, but he's not a lock. Uh, and at center, I like Kelly Linick at 4,000. Has been a little bit disappointing in the last couple of games, but I think this is an opportunity for him matching up against Zaza Pachulia for some of the time. And yeah, he'll be taking Draymond out to the three-point line, which not that Draymond can't guard out there, but it might change a few things up for this team, having a, a shooting threat at the five. So he is going to be worth looking at at 4,000. I think he's a, I think he's a really solid option. The next game we're going to take a look at is the Brooklyn Nets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder are favored by 9.5. The total is 219. If this was last year, you'd say, oh, you know, avoid your Thunder guys because it's going to be a blowout. But it's not It's not last year. The Thunder aren't as good, and the Nets are better than we anticipate. Yes, they got smashed by the Clippers, but in most other games, they keep it close-ish. Close enough. No Jeremy Lin in this game. Um, no Karis LeVert, who looks like he's going to be back soon, which I can't wait for. The Thunder are favored by 9.5, and, and the total is 219, but I'm not fading any of their players based on the spread. Russ is at 11,400, real opportunity for him to put up a, a, a 60 here. So I think he's a, I think he's a good play. Samaje Kristen, Isaiah Whitehead, Yogi Ferrell, um, well, Ferrell and Whitehead and Sean Kilpatrick basically sp- split the point guard minutes in the last time out for the Nets. So I don't believe any of them are going to get enough minutes for them to be useful. And obviously, Samaje Kristen is on the bench for the Thunder. Vic Oladipo, 5,500, had almost 50 in the last game, had been trending up anyway. It's a good matchup. He won't have 50 again, but I think he can easily have 5,500 worth of value. So he's a, he's a play to me. Shawnee Kilpatrick has, has really struggled of late. 5,200 is too expensive for a guy that just can't seem to get it going at this point. And the uh, the matchup of Westbrook and Oladipo is not going to be ideal for him. Joe Harris, Alex Abrinez, Randy Foy. Let's move on to the small forwards. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Is it 3,900? Stunk in the last game. Not sure that he's he's really looking at a big DFS performance here, but one thing that did surprise me, back to what I was talking about before, when looking at the uh, seasonal rankings over the last two weeks, Rondé was in the top 70. So a lot of hand-wringing about this guy being terrible and useless. Well, he he, he got it going and ranked himself in the, inside the, the top 70 over the last couple of weeks. But as for him here at 3,900, sure, in a tournament, I, I can understand that. He did do well in his matchup against this team last season. He had uh, over 25 points in that one. Will he do it again? Who knows? But there is there is opportunity for him here. So he, he's not a stay away, um, despite the stinker in the last one. Boyan Bogdanovich, always a tournament option. Had 36 in the last one, could easily have 12 in this one. But he, he's, a, he's an option. And Andre Robertson at 3,900. Well, if I'm, if I'm looking at Andre, 
or Rondé, who are both at 3,900 as wings who don't score. Which one would I take? I would take Rondé, but I can understand why you would take Andre. Jeremy Grant, no thank you. Power forwards, DeMontis Sabonis at 3,500. Minimum salary, keeps starting, but the production has been well off. It's a really good game for him to actually get it going. So in a tournament, I would have no hesitation in throwing him in and hoping that it comes true because it is an opportunity in some blowouts before he's gotten some big minutes against some mediocre opposition. So he's worth he's worth a consideration. I like Trevor Booker a lot at 5,500. He's almost a lock for 27 at, at this point, having a, a tremendous year. And Ennis Cantor, I don't think this is a great Ennis Cantor matchup. Um, the Trevor Booker Ennis Cantor situation will be interesting because those two do have a little bit of uh, a little bit of beef going back to the uh, to the old Utah days. So that will be interesting, but I'm not sure that Cantor's going to get enough playing time to repay. 4,700. Not a lot. That's not a lot, but I'm just not sure he's going to be even be getting 20 minutes in this one. At center, Brooke Lopez. He's up to 7,300. He's uh, he's giving us that value on most nights. He is good against Oklahoma. He does do well against Steve Adams. Uh, I, I think that I think he's okay to look at. I'm, yeah, two days rest for Brookie. I think he's worth. I think he's worth considering. Uh, Justin Hamilton, Joffrey Lavernier. Now, what about Steve Adams? He's at 5,000, has not been producing over the last few games, averaging just 22.5 in the last five. At 5,000, I think he's a, a significant option to, to look at in a tournament. In a cash game, I don't have a massive amount of faith. Um, but in a tournament, I think he's one of the better, better center options out there who can easily go and drop 30-odd. The next game we look at is the Portland Trailblazers and the New Orleans Pelicans. No no spread released here because Anthony Davis, we don't know if he is playing, but someone we do know is playing is Drew Holiday. Now, Drew is going to be on somewhat of a minutes limit for the first couple of games, so don't get too interested or excited in using him, especially when he comes in at a salary of 7900 There is zero interest in using him at that price. Dame Lillard at 9600 I think he's a bounce-back candidate here, but that's very expensive, 9600 I'd rather take the 11,000, 11,500 on Russ than 96 on Dame. It just feels too expensive. In a tournament, sure, and he does have a history of bouncing back from bad performances, but yeah, not. It's, he's too volatile. Timmy Frazier with Drew back. He's down to 5,100. He's still going to get some minutes, but it's too much of a, of a split here to, to care about. Langston Galloway, same story. At shooting guard, Alan Crabb at 3,800. It's a good situation for Crabb, but... He just lets us down way too often. Not not bad, but the knee gives me slight slight pause to probably avoid. Each one more at 45. I'm pretty much avoiding all of the Pelicans' backcourt guys here, despite the good matchup by going up against the Blazers, because we just don't know exactly how Gentry is going to use the reintegration of Drew Holiday into this backcourt. CJ had a, a, a really good game against the Rockets. He's at 7,500. It is a positive matchup for him. I don't think he's the best shooting guard on the board, though, so I'm not falling over myself to get him, and obviously I'm not doing that with Bud Heald either. Mo Harkless at 4,600. His price doesn't rise. His production stays the same. Get a 25 out of Mo at 4,600. You can't complain about that. Solly Hill, Evie Turner. No. Nah. And Dante Cunningham, please. Um, at Power Forward, Tezza. Terrence Jones, 5,000. He had 41 in the last game. If Anthony Davis is added, it's a no-brainer to use him. If Anthony Davis plays, then obviously there's more risk involved in Terrence Jones, and I wouldn't be keen. But if Davis is out, then it's all aboard Terrence Jones. 
at eleven thousand four hundred with Davis, I think that he is. I think he's in play against Portland if if he happens to play. Although there is that slight risk that maybe he's just slightly hobbled, so he might be a fade. If I'm taking an eleven thousand guy, it's Westbrook over Davis, but Davis is not a complete stay away to me, despite what I just said about the lower body injuries. Noah Vonleh, Myers, Leonard, well, no, shouldn't care about them. At center, Mason Plumley at 51. I like that. Very similar to Mo Harkless. Just bang him in, get 50, no, get 25 to uh, to 27 points out of him on most nights and, and be really happy with that sort of a result. I think that's what you can get out of him. Omar Ashik and uh, um, uh, Alexi Ajinsa? No, sorry, it's Friday here. No, my voice is, uh, and my brain is a little scrambled. The next game up is the Memphis Grizzlies and the Dallas Mavericks. No spread here because we don't know what's happening with Dallas. Now, J.J. Barea is out for the next six weeks with a torn calf. That's obviously bad for him. He can be dropped. Darren Williams and Dirk are both listed as questionable. I would be stunned if Darren plays in this game after leaving last game with an aggravation of that calf issue. I would also, to be honest, be stunned if Dirk plays. I think both guys are out. The... The Mavs waived Quincy Acey so they could re-sign Jonathan Gibson. And I don't believe that that was just because of Berea's injury. I think that they are anticipating uh, Williams missing a couple more, even though he is listed as questionable. So yeah, bear that in mind when we look at all these uh, look at all these players. Let's look at the point guard situation in this one. Mike Conley is listed on the injury report every single day. Uh, he plays through them all, basically. He's at 7,200. He's been flying. It's not an ideal matchup. The The Mavericks have been restricting pace of teams and production of teams, but at 7,200, Conley is in, the, is in play if you're looking for a mid-priced point guard. Darren Williams, even if he plays, there is zero, zero way you can trust him. Andrew Harrison, he's been doing some stuff, but it doesn't translate into fantasy. Seth Curry at 4,100. With Barrea out, he gets a bigger role. If Williams misses, which I anticipate, he is at 4,100. A guy that you want in basically every lineup, cash especially. Tournaments, maybe you decide to fade him because he's probably going to have 50-60% ownership. But you know, I'm pretty confident he can exceed 20 points worth of value. Wes Matthews at 4,700. I've been pretty critical of Wes. But he is just giving us some consistent DFS numbers over the last couple. And at 4,700, definitely not a bad option. You could you could use that, especially if Darren if Darren Williams is out. Tone Allen at 4,000. We don't know if he's playing or not, but I wouldn't be using him if he uh, if, even if he did. At small forward, Justin Anderson, 3,700, gets a boost with Dirk and Duron are both out. Not Duron, Darren. How did I slip into that trap? 3,700 for for Anderson, but he is strictly a tournament play to me. He's just too up in the air. He's got really good upside, but he's just a, he's just too up in the air for me at this point. The pencil Harrison Barnes at 6,100. Um, that's me anticipating that Dirk isn't playing. I don't think I'd use the pencil at 6,100 if Dirk was healthy, but he is giving us 35 a night, basically, pretty consistently with uh, with Dirk out. So he's he's uh, a lock and load in that situation. 4,900 for Chandler Parsons. No thanks. We don't know how much he's playing. James Ennis is also listed as questionable at 3,900. Uh, regardless, I don't think he's interesting. But if he is out, then Vince Carter at 4,400 has to come into consideration. He had just 20 in the last game. But if there's no NS, we could see 30-plus from Carter, and that might give us 26, 27 points. And at 4,400, that's definitely giving us value. Dorian Finney-Smith continues to start for Dallas. He doesn't really do much statistically, so he's still at minimum salary, and there's a very good reason for that. At power forward, Jermichael Green's at 39. He is giving us bubkus. Nothing. So don't worry about him. Zebo, 5,400. 
If it was 4,500, I'd snap it up because he is giving us 25 to 26 a night. I just don't, I just don't feel confident in using Zach Randolph when I think he might get 22 minutes. Dwighty Powell at 4,000 becomes a tournament option if Dirk is out. If Dirk plays, then he has very little use to us, and I won't be using Dirk even if he is considered ready to go. At centre, Marcus Sol is at 7,100, been flying really lately, but not quite to $7,100 worth of value. Not not far off, but there are better centres out there, I believe. Andrew, Andrew Bogut isn't one of them. He's at 4,400. Maybe if Dirk's out, you consider him, but I wouldn't consider him for too long. The next game is up the Toronto Raptors and the Denver Nuggets. We've got the Raptors favored by four and a half. The total here is 216 points. Unlikely to have Will Barton. We know that Gaz Harris is out. Wilson Chandler is also listed as probable with his hamstring. He'll be right to go. And Darrell Arthur, it doesn't matter if he's playing or not because he's probably not going to be in the rotation. Let's look at point guards. Jameer Nelson's been starting in place of Gaz. He's at 3,800. He hasn't really got it going. He's averaging just 16 points over the last three in 29 minutes. But at 3,800, I think he is a tournament play because if you get 33 minutes out of him, maybe he gets hot. Maybe stuff starts to happen. No confidence in it, but the all the situation surrounding it makes sense that, that it could happen. Emmanuel Moutier is at 5,700. Not a great situation if Kyle Lowry is on you. So he's, he's, a, he's a, a weak fade. But he he could be used in in certain circumstances. As for Lowry, eight thousand three hundred. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think that Lowry is usable at that price. He's been flying. A Moutier defense is not a concern. A Jameer Nelson defense is uh, whatever the opposite of not a concern is. Whatever the opposite of concern is. Discon. Who knows? You know what I'm talking about. I don't give a shit if Moutier is on him or Jameer Nelson. At shooting guard, Demar Derozan nine thousand two hundred. I don't think the upside's there, but I think that the 40-plus point production feels pretty solid for DeRozan, especially in a game against Denver, whose defense on the perimeter has been far from stellar, especially when you're playing Jameer out there and you don't have the ability of Gaz Harris to go and switch onto these guys. So I do like DeMar at that salary. Normie Powell at 3,700, just not getting the minutes, unfortunately. So he's out, he's out of play. At small forward, the rooster Danilo Gallinari, well, the salary's dropped down to 5,900. That makes him more interesting, but not, not fully not fully on board. Wilson Chandler, though, at 5,700. I love him at that price. Not just because he had 51 in the last game, but because he's averaging 33 across the last five. At 57, I think he's a very, very good guy to look at, whereas Damari Carroll is not. And Terrence Ross at 3,700. He's always got the ability to go off, Rossi, but it doesn't happen often enough. Maybe in a in a uh, big tournament, you won't look at that. At power forward, Nick Jokic. Oh, who knows? At 4,300, there is the ability to have him to have 40 points. There's no doubt about that. But do I trust using him? In a cash game, there is not a chance in the world that I would use Jokic. In a tournament, would I? Yeah, because, because I don't think his ownership will be very high. And Malone keeps, keeps talking about using him. Eventually, some of this crap that spews out of his mouth has to come true. And he's going to have a game. I don't feel confident about it, but that salary is really, really low for a guy that can produce even in limited minutes. Two Pat, 3,900. No. Ken Fareed, he's been on fire as well. 6,300, so the salary is way up. Do you believe Ken Fareed can get you over 30 points each night? I don't in a matchup against the Raptors. I don't like it either. 
in a tournament, it's fine if Malone goes that way, but but I do not think that that is a that that's a cash game play. Pascal Siakam had 22 in the last game. I, I don't believe that will uh, that will really replicate itself here at center. Jonas Valanciunas only played 18 minutes in the last game for whatever reason that Dwayne Casey decided. 5700 for Val. Um, I think it's an opportunity for him here to, to go really big against uh, this front court, and he can match up against Fareed, you know, Jokic. These are guys that, that he could really take to town. Uh, I don't think that Casey's going to be too bothered by the offense that Denver's running to keep him off the court. At 5,700, I think Valanciunas is a very, very good play. Uh, Nurkic is as volatile as it gets, and he's been doing basically nothing, averaging just 13 points across the last five with a high score of just under 20. And at 4,800, it is not getting it done whatsoever. Two games left on the slate. The next one is the San Antonio Spurs and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Spurs are favored by six and a half, and the total here is 208 points. Let's have a look at the uh, the point guard matchup here. We've got D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, we've got uh, Tone Parker. Who's worth looking at? Well, I don't think any of them are, really. Yeah, Russell's been good lately, but against the Spurs, this defense really does stop point guard. So 6,200, I think, could be spent in a different direction rather than on Russell. Mills and Tony Parker, they're not really solid investments, although Parker is averaging 25 over the last three. So maybe go against the grain there in a tournament, get yourself him and pair him with a Westbrook, and, and it might it might work out. At shooting guard, Dan Green, 4,000. I can't bring myself to do it. Lou Williams at 4,700. Killed us in the last time where I said that he was a reliable target. I don't like the matchup against San Antonio and Green. Green's going to be in his face, and that means his shot's not going to fall, and that means he's not going to produce. So I'm not interested in, in uh, Lou Williams. Manu, Jordy Clarkson at 5,000. Another matchup I'd consider Clarkson, but not this one. And Uncle P, I don't think we can use either. I like Kawhi, obviously. He's at 8,500. He's playing against the Lakers. It, he's been a little bit down, but I think this is an opportunity for him to go 40-plus. So I like him here. Luol Deng, Brandon Ingram really can't see a way that they fit into a into a lineup. LaMarcus Aldridge at 7,100, just not quite giving us that number that we need him to just yet. So he's a stay away, as is Larry Nance and David Lee also. Julius Randle, he's up to 6,700. It's pretty expensive. Yeah, the numbers have been really good for Randle, but I, I don't really think that 6,700 against the Spurs is a is a wise use of money. It could, it could work, and he's not a complete write-off to me, but it's not. I'm not confident with it. At center, Pau Gasol flying. He's at 6,200. He's averaging 33 over the last five. The matchup's positive against his former team. I think that Pau in a tournament is great in a um, in a cash game. I wouldn't want to touch it. But in a tournament, I think that he's a guy, and I don't imagine his usage is going to be all that high, or he's not his usage, his ownership is going to be all that high either. Tariq Black and Tim Mozgov, they're not, uh, I don't think they're really going to come into the consideration all that often or all that all that much, which is the same thing. The Clippers and the Kings. We've got the Clippers favored by seven, and this could be a blowout. 205.5 is the total here. Let's look at the point guards. Chrissy Paul at 9,300 had been playing very well and does do very well against Sacramento. So I think that he's he's one of the, the point guards you'd look to. I'd prefer to spend 9,000 on him than 9,000 on Lillard in a cash game setting, especially with Lillard on a back-to-back. In a tournament, I'd probably take Lillard's upside, though. Darren Collison at 5,900. The production's been good. It hasn't quite been 5,900 yet, so he's a he's a fade. 
Austin Rivers, Ray Felton, Garrett Temple, Ty Lawson, they're not in consideration. At shooting guard, J.J. Reddick's been on fire. He's at 4,500. No one on Sacramento is going to be able to shut him down. So he is, uh, he's worth a look without me having confidence in him being able to hit you know, seven of nine threes, which he did in the second half of that game on Wednesday. Jamal Crawford, Aaron Aflalo, Ben McLemore, no thanks. Matty Barnes at 39, it's a very, very appealing price. And he has had the minutes there the last couple of games. Caspi's not playing, but trust in Jaeger is low, so Barnes is tournament only. He's not, even in the cash game, at 3,900, he's not going to cost you much, but I'd still want a little bit more stability. Rudy Gay at 7,300. Not not in this, not against the Clippers defense. I'm not not interested in spending over 7,000 on Gay. Wes Johnson, Luke Marmute, they're not, they're not in play. Blakey Griffin at eight thousand eight hundred. I think that he's a forty-five pointer here. So he is. A, he's got a real. He's got an opportunity to be a forty-five pointer. He's got a good history against Sacramento. He's putting up numbers at a pretty good rate recently. Forty plus. It should be his goal here. Not that he gives a shit about what his FanDuel points are. At center, DeAndre Jordan at sixty-eight hundred. He's done okay against Boogie in the past. There's always a concern with Boogie with foul trouble, but he's averaging thirty-five points the last three times they played each other and played 32 minutes, so I think that he is a decent play, as is Boogie at 9,800, who has been a little bit subdued against the uh, the Clippers in recent times, but he's averaging 50 the last three games that he has played, and I think that 45 shouldn't be a, a really difficult goal for him to achieve here, obviously. We're not going to be looking at using Costa Kufos. That is it, guys. That is the end of today's podcast. We're done. Check out Athletes Collective. Use that promo code FANTASY and get a 15% discount when you check out. Great stuff. You're saving money anyway, and you can save an extra extra 15%, and you can uh, and you can support this podcast. You can also support it by subscribing on iTunes and leaving a review, checking out Basketball Monster and signing up to one of our memberships over there, and just in general supporting the Locked On Podcast Network by listening to your favorite teams or the teams that you want to find out some information about. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Mary Babers, Draymond Green's mum. <laughs>